Well, my name's Brian. Um, Greg reached out to me and asked me if I could uh, come this come today. And when he said, he said, Brian, preach about what you want, but but I'm really thinking God's going to lead you to Genesis four. Uh, I really feel strongly about that. And you know, when you're a guest preacher, there's certain passages you like. You know, I mentioned Ezekiel 47, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, you know, the healing at Bethesda. There's quite a few, and then of course Genesis 4 that we all all guest preachers want to preach about one brother killing another uh, out of jealousy and rage. And so that's like my go-to place. So we're gonna thank you, Greg. Um, so what we will, I, I do find Genesis. Um, this is important stuff, the foundation that we're going through. I heard someone once say that you believe what you believe about God in the Bible is because somebody you trust told you it was so. And that's true for all of us. Say it again. You believe what you believe because someone you trust told you that was the truth. Now, why do I say that? Because we actually need to start reading the Bible and say, what does the text actually say? What, what is God really saying? Because the more we understand, guys, this, wasn't, this was written, think about the book of Genesis. It was written for some people that had been in slavery for 400 years. It was meant to be understood. I shouldn't have to go to seminary and give my life and hundreds of thousands of dollars to understand a book that this part right here was written for a group of slaves that had been in captivity for 400 years. Amen. Like, I, and, I, and I have the spirit of God that is meant to interpret this word for me. So I just encourage us, let's just challenge ourselves a little bit and go, okay, what does it actually say? Uh, I, I grew up going to church, and this is kind of what I was taught about you know, there was the garden, it was perfect, and there was happy God, right? He was happy, and everybody walked around naked, and they walked together. No one was ashamed. It was just fun. And then all of a sudden, this couple goes and is deceived, and they eat the fruit, and they wrecked everything, and now God is mad, right? And we see a mad God all the way up till Jesus showed up, and now he tolerates us, but until we go to heaven or Jesus returns, there's not much good that's going to happen in your life because you live in a fallen world. Congratulations. There's the good news. <laughs> right? So hopefully Jesus will come or you will die soon and therefore life will be turned around for you. Like that, that's some version of the gospel that we've been taught. And here's the good news in it. It's not true. Amen. It is not true. After Genesis 3, God did not become angry. He didn't start dealing with us differently. And so that's what we really want to look at the text and go, what's the truth about sin? What's the truth about God? And what's the truth of how he dealt with Adam and Eve? But also, how does he deal with us today? Because how we view God is very important. We can do all the Bible study that we want. I can ask you as many theological questions about God, and you can have some brilliant answers. But you know what your true theology is? The life that you're living. That's what you really believe, right? 
How much are you surrendering to God is really a function of how faithful you think he is. How much you're letting go and trusting in his goodness is really how good you think God is. We can, I mean, I grew up in a denomination that you started off most Sundays with God is good. All the time. There you go. So that's got to be true, right? It doesn't really matter how I live my life as long as I say those words. And so what we want to do is begin to really challenge ourselves, look at what the text says. And so we ended in Genesis 3, right? There was uh, a mistake. Let's just call it they made a mistake in Genesis 3 and sin entered man. <laughs> and, so, and they were kicked out of the garden. That's where we last found them. And then I do have a little bit of just practical good news for some of you guys uh, that at times you get in trouble. You ever just make a mistake and you get in trouble? And you're like, my wife's never going to forgive me, right? You ever been there? Some of you are probably in that right now. It's like, I'm in so much trouble, I can't even raise my hand right now. But that is me. And, and so you look at it. So God said, do not eat of the fruit. They ate of the fruit. They went and hid. They're naked. God says, where are you guys? They found him. And God said, what happened? And, and Adam, being the strong man that he is, he looked at God and said, she did it. Right? That's, that's where we last saw him. And so here's the good news. Genesis 4 verse 1 starts with this way. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She eventually forgave him. Now it doesn't tell us how long it was in this, but she did forgive him. And so Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. If you guys write in your Bible, underline that. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Did God leave Adam and Eve? She doesn't think so. So we see in Genesis you know, 3 that they walked in the coolness of the day with God. Did they walk in the coolness of the day with God in Genesis 4? I don't know. doesn't say doesn't say they did, but it also doesn't say that they didn't. See, we just love this narrative that, that they were mad, God was mad, he threw them out of the garden, and they were done. That's not true. They were thrown out of the garden, but they're not done. God is still very much walking with Adam and Eve to the point that when she conceived, she goes, this was a gift brought forth from God. I got this because God gave me this child. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth. And actually, she then named her son Cain, which actually means with the help of the Lord brought forth. I mean, that's what the name Cain means. You know, in biblical times, you would search the Lord, right? We, we name our kids based upon their initials. We, we, uh, Name our kids based upon if they won the Heisman, would it be a cool name when it got called? Like, would that be a great name? So I'm gonna, I'm we, but biblically, they would seek the Lord and they would say, who is this child? Really, what's this child's destiny? What's this child's purpose? What's this child going to do in life? And you would have a name given to you, which would be what you were to live out. And so when she named him Cain, his identity, his destiny actually became someone who with the help of the Lord, it was brought forth. That was the life. I think it's important when we read, when we go through with the story, you got to understand what Cain was building his life on, right? This is what he was doing. And so later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And again, I just, 
I want us to walk away and first understand God has not left them. God is still with them. And just like in your life, are there consequences to your sin? Absolutely. But in the consequences, God never leaves us. I even think about the apostle Paul. He says, hey, I want you to go pray over him, and I want him to understand the price that he will pay to share my gospel. Right? And I don't know if it was connected to his persecution of Christians, but even though he had a difficult walk, God was with him every step of the way. He never left him. He never forsake him, ever. But yet it still does begin to change our journey. It, be, it begins to change some of the things about our life. But what it never changes, and it's so important, there is absolutely nothing you can do that will keep you from walking in this faithful relationship with the Lord. Nothing. From his standpoint, right? You can, you can leave all you want which many of us do that, but we never see that from God. That's not what he does. He didn't leave them. And so we begin, as, as we read, it says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. That's a confusing. So this is part of the things, like when we read that, we go, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Like, I don't really want to press into that God. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't seem like, when you just read it, does that seem like a fair God? Seems unfair. Guys, we got to be able to say God can handle us looking at him and going, hey, that's unfair. That doesn't seem right. Because so far in the text, there's no place that it says that they've been commanded to give an offering. You know, this offering was actually from their heart. It's not part of any kind of covenant. It's not part of any kind of commitment. It's just something that Cain and Abel said, we are going to give an offering. It doesn't say what a proper offering is. It doesn't say anything. It just says that, that Cain brought an offering. And then it says that, what does it say about Abel? It says that... Uh, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions for some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel. So when you start looking at a way to justify that, we start going, well, Abel brought the fat portion. He brought the first of his offering. So therefore, that's why God showed him favor. Is that a true statement? Read the text. What does the text say? Does it say that, that Cain's was not his first fruit? No. See, we love to just, again, we need a way. We've got to put God in a box that I can feel comfortable with him because if some way God's not fair, then I can't trust him because I need to understand the rules. I need to understand what we're doing here, right? And if I don't understand him and he's not safe, then I can't fully surrender to him. And so we'll read the text and go, yeah, Cain brought the better stuff. I mean, uh, Abel brought the better. Cain held back. And again, that may or may not be true, but you cannot read the text and walk away with that. And so here's what we can understand. God is sovereign. We can understand the prophet Isaiah said, hey, I, you know, my ways are different than your ways. My thoughts are, are different than your thoughts. Matter of fact, as high as the heaven is from the earth, that's how much different my ways and my thoughts are from your. In other words, he says, don't worry about it, because even if I tried to explain it to you, I can't. But what our job is to understand 
that it doesn't matter if God's, you know, it doesn't matter why he's doing what he's doing, but you do begin, it does become challenging if you put yourself in Cain's situation and go, man, I brought an offering. No one asked me to bring it. It was not part of the command. I gave you something that was mine. I brought it to you. It never said that God was upset with him. He just said it didn't give him additional favor that he actually showed favor to Abel. That's what we get from this standpoint. But it is one of those things that if you're, if you're, um, if you're Cain, it begins to, as the text goes on, we'll begin to understand why this was such a hard thing for Cain. Because when you look at it and go, why is Cain upset? Right? It wasn't a trophy. There's no trophy here. It doesn't seem like that there's any reward in it. It just says that God was looked favorably. But it was really hard on Cain. And as we go forward, we need to understand why was it hard. And so it said he didn't look with favor on, on Cain's. And then so it says, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry why is your face downcast? Here's basically what God said to Cain. Why are you sulking? Why are you being a baby? You ever, any of you have multiple kids? Right? You praise one and the other one goes away like, they hate me. No, your picture was just ugly, right? Your color didn't make sense. You were nowhere in the lines. I can't brag on it. It was awful, but I still love you, right? I mean, could you imagine? It's like, I'm done with you. You're all over the place. You're out. Abel, I'm giving you everything. No, you just, I mean, so I think that's got to be the context. As a father, he exclaimed over one, and the other was nothing to exclaim over. So he didn't show favor. He didn't go crazy about it because there was nothing really to talk about. And so, but you look at it and he goes to Cain and he says, hey, why are you so upset? That's the question. And so let's think about, let's be Cain for a second. Should Cain be upset? I don't know. But I think he could look at it and go, well, God, can I ask you a question? What were the rules? What is an acceptable offering? What would be something, what would be a sacrifice that you would find favor in? What would be a sacrifice that you would be pleasing with? So I think that's a fair question for Cain to go. Hey, there were no rules, and now all of a sudden you're talking about him? Here's the other thing. What, what is his identity and what is his name? Everybody remember? Well, Brian, do you want me to call it out? No, I just want you to think for a second. So it says, with the help of the Lord. So what is he, a farmer? Do you know anybody that relies more on help of the Lord than a farmer? So I look at it and go, I know I need sun. I don't control the sun. I know I need rain. I don't control the rain. I know at times I need shade. I don't control the shade. I mean, literally, as a farmer, I am completely dependent. My harvest and my crop will be brought forth because of the Lord. Amen. And so now Cain's sitting there going, hey, my crop wasn't enough, but guess what? You gave it to me. My unacceptable crop is what you gave me, and I gave it back to you. So now if I'm Cain, I'm in a situation like, uh-oh, I got a problem. I can't control this myself. I want the favor of the Lord. I can't control my crop. What can he control? He can control his competition. 
So I can't control the crop that I bring you, but I can make sure he doesn't bring you an acceptable sacrifice. That's really what's going on here. He begins to have this thought of it is impossible because I've built my whole life on everything I have. It's given to me from the Lord, and the Lord has given it to me, and then he found it to be lacking. What do I do? Right? What do we do when a sacrifice that we gave to the Lord doesn't seem to be enough or seems to be misunderstood. My wife and I right now, we, at the end of last year, felt like the Lord was asking us to kind of disconnect from everything that we do in this area. At the end of last year and so beginning of this year, we started feeling like that he wanted us to move and he confirmed it through visions and dreams. He was really faithful in letting us know that we're supposed to go about two hours north where I live. We loaded up our stuff. We went, we bought a house. There's or been trying to buy a house. There's just been some issues. And so we've been homeless. Right, And so for about, I don't know, three or four weeks, our stuff has been in storage. And you just sit around and go, what are we doing here, Lord? You know, he comes to me on the porch. You know what he says to me? Brian, <laughs> why the angry face? <laughs> why so downtrodden? Right? He comes and asks me, say, well, what's this about? What's your problem? I'm like, well, you told me to move and now we're homeless. That's what we do. And so you have a chance. We, we all have an opportunity in this moment. Am I going to stay the course? Am, am I going to trust what the Lord's doing? Or because it doesn't look exactly the way I wanted it, because my sacrifice was not received the way I want it to be, and maybe it even looks like right now that the Lord isn't showing any favor on my sacrifice. I'm like, Lord, I didn't have to move. He's like, it's not the point. The point is just make your sacrifice. The point is trust the process, trust what I'm doing, and even if it doesn't look exactly what you, the way you want it to look, you need to keep pressing in. And that's where he goes, he goes to Cain, he's like, hey man, what, what's, why are you so upset? And, and really in this, what he's saying, he says, he said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will it not be accepted? Here's what he's saying. Cain, why are you making a big deal out of this? I love you. You need to hear this. Nothing's changed. Nothing about you and I have changed. Nothing. I'm just as pleased with you. I, I, I'm just as in love with you. I'm as much involved in your story as I am Abel's. And here's what he's saying. He says, hey, just do better next time. It's like when you strike out and your coach comes to you and says, it's not a big deal. Yeah, we lost the game. Yeah. I mean, the season's over, but do better next time. I still love you. I'm still for you. This isn't the end of the world. And so I think it's so important. We love to, to look at when we make a mistake, the idea is that we're no longer worthy. We're no longer acceptable. We're disqualified. And we see Adam and Eve where they were thrown out of the garden, but yet he was still with them. We, we, we see right here that even though the sacrifice was not acceptable, God comes to him. And here's what I love about the story. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they go looking for God or did God go look for them? Very important, guys. This is very important. God is not waiting. God is coming after you. 
You're not, often we're not listening, but I can promise you this. God is not waiting on you in any other way other than saying yes. The only way he's waiting on you is for you to answer when he says, where are you? He wants you to answer. When he says, hey, why are you angry? He's given you permission to tell him why you're downcast, why your head is down, why you're upset. He is chasing you. He chased after Adam and Eve, and he's chasing after Cain right here, and he's asking him, hey, bro, talk to me. This is okay. Why are you so worked up? Because we as a church have to understand God has not changed. His view of man has not changed at all. How many of you believe that? From Genesis 1 to now, his view of man and his plan with man has not changed. You know what's changed? Our view of man. See, we picked up fear, guilt, and shame. We picked up unworthiness. We picked up the idea that God's not enough. We picked it up. And that's what we start seeing in Adam, what we start seeing in Cain. We also saw it in, in Eve. She's like, hey, is God really what he says he is? Is he really faithful? Man, that fruit does look good. That's what we saw. They took it. And then they start living in fear, guilt, and shame. And that's what we start seeing with Cain. Cain is fearful that he will never be enough again. And then he starts competing, somehow believing that if your sacrifice is not the greatest, then it's never going to work for you in the kingdom of God. And we believe it. Guys, you know what confession is? Telling God what you truly believe. It's not coming down here going, oh, man, I've not stole that. It's not confession. Confession is simply tell God the truth. The truth is, God, I don't think I can trust you. God, the, the truth is, once I did that, I think I was disqualified. Lord, the truth is, once that happened in my life and I responded this way, I don't think you'll ever use me in a significant way. So I'm just trying to get through with life. That's the truth. The truth is, Lord, I'm angry because I don't think you were fair. I'm, I'm angry because I don't think you had good rules for my sacrifice. I'm angry because you chose my little brother and now he has more favor than I do. And in this world, that's just a wreck. That's why I'm angry and it's telling me the truth. And God's given a place for you to tell him the truth because what he wants to do is he wants to draw you back into intimacy with him no matter what you've done. Because here's what he goes on to say. He says, so, he said, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Do better next time. He says, and if you do what is wrong, sin is crouching at your door. It's desire to have you but you must rule over it. He says, here's the deal. He says, do better next time. But there's a thought. And it's the same word that he uses for Eve when she saw the fruit. It was desirable. And, here's, and, and, and God is coming in a warning to Cain. He said, Cain, you've got to let this go. You've got to snap out of it. You've got to start thinking differently. That thought that's in your head, you need to think captive. You need to take that thought captive because if you keep it in your head, it's going to become very desirable and sin will overtake you. That's what he's saying. And guys, it happens to us all the time. Something does not go exactly the way we want it, and we start letting a thought come in our head, and we set on it, and we start having this conversation, and before long, that thought becomes desirable. It overtakes us, and by the way, it is not permission. It cannot overtake you. What's God's word? And this is pre-Holy Spirit, by the way. 
He says to him, he says, it's desire to have you, but you must rule over it. The place that you keep failing, you have the power. You do. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a promise. You have self-control. You have the power. And sometimes you're given the power of the way because you're living in secret. You're given the power of the way because you won't confess it to man or to God. You're giving your power away, living in your darkness. He says, man, just bring it to light because you must rule over this thing. And, and that is, so I just want us to understand, guys, that thought that is defeating you, we have to rule over it now. In Jesus' name, right now. And if, that, if you haven't been able to conquer it, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Stand up and tell us your name. Uh, <laughs> tell us to sin. No. Um, if you have a thing that you haven't been able, guys, most of us have, find me after service and let's go somewhere and seek the Lord on it because what he's telling you is you can overcome it today. He says that other thing, he said, do better. So here's my message to you. Do better. You might have failed on the way to church this morning. So what? But now the Lord's message to you is stop letting it control you. Let's conquer it today. Don't lose another day. And so part of it is just throwing your hands up. Come find me. Come find somebody else. We'll do this in community. Let's get this thing under control so you can get back into intimacy, which is the invitation that you have. That's what we're being called into. And so now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. While we were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Again, same question he asked Adam and Eve. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what you have done, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless wonder in the earth, which is the same thing that was spoken over his dad. I said, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Listen to his words and see if you can see the lie. Because this happens all the time. The Lord gives you a word and you add to it. The Lord tells you something and, you t and then you decide that the Lord said more and it becomes a bondage that you live your life in. It becomes something, a foundation that you move forward in and all it does is lead to more defeat and more, you know, and, and then more sin ultimately in our life. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land. That's true. And he said, I will be hidden from your presence. That is not true. Nowhere did God say, he said, you'll be driven from the land. He did not say, you will not be in my presence. It's just not in there. He says, driven from my presence, I will be restless wonder on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, it's not true. It's not true. If you think about Adam and Eve, the passage did Greg speak on it? Was it last week that he spoke Genesis 3? Yes? I don't know. We weren't listening. Um, he says, what's going on? He says, man, we were scared. We were naked and afraid. And God's question to him was, who told you that? Most important question you can ask yourself every day, who's telling me that? Uh, what's the truth? But he says the same thing right here, doesn't he? Basically, he's going, that's not true. Who's telling you that? I never said that you are driven from my presence. 
Guys, that is the battle that we're fighting for. The enemy wants to separate you from, from, from your God. He wants to tell you that you're not worthy. He wants to tell you that you're disqualified. He wants to tell you that it's just never going to be the same again. And here's the thing. Is that true for Cain? No. I like to think in terms of, you know, there are consequences, right? He said, hey, your brother's blood is crying out to me. God is not only a merciful God, he's also a just God. He's like, hey, that blood has to be paid for. And so you are going to be in a different place. You're going to be in a different location, but it doesn't mean you're going to be there without me. Just like you could make a mistake here, be thrown in prison for the next 30 years, but does that mean you're going to do that sentence without Jesus? That's up to you. But he wants to go to prison with you. Right? He wants to sit in that cell with you. He wants to reform that prison. He wants everybody in there to fall on their face before Jesus, right? And so, yeah, are there consequences to our decision? Absolutely. But it never comes with being separated from Jesus. It never comes. And again, it goes back to this narrative. God is not angry. He's just not. Quit buying that. He is not done. You are not separated. The only, to the extent that you've separated yourself is the only separation that you're currently living in. That's it. And so I just think when, when we're looking at this passage, and I know it's been something that Greg's been talking about, is this idea that, that you know, God's not an angry God, and it's so true. And again, I think what you believe about God, well, I say this all the time, but A.W. Tozer says, you know, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Right? So if you don't think God's good, you're only going to travel with him so long. If, if, if you don't think God's faithful, when the water runs out, you're not going to wait for him to touch a rock. Right? If you, if you don't think God is a provider, you're only going to stay in that ravine so long for that raven to bring you dinner. Right? And so what we believe, and so many of us have been taught because of sin, we wrecked this perfect design, and you can't wreck God's perfect design. How many of you, after day one, what does God say about creation after day one? It was good. Day two. So he kept going. It was good. It was good. Then he got to man. And what do he say about man? Very good. So here's a question. Is very good better than good? So there's, so there's the distinction. So somehow very good was better than good. So if there's a distinction between very good and good, is it fair to say that the garden wasn't perfect? Wouldn't God have said, and it was perfect? He said, no, it's good. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Oh, that's really good. It's not perfect, but it's really good. The, the reason I want you to hear that is God's not, God's not drawn to perfection. If God wanted perfection, he would have created the garden perfect. If God didn't want there to be sin in the garden, there would have never been sin. Right? We love the idea that, that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, but yet what was the serpent doing? Was he already there? He was lying. He said God isn't faithful. He said God isn't true. He said God's a liar. That's a sin. So these things, it's important for us to understand, I'm not disqualified for my lack of, of perfection because that's not what God's doing. What he's doing is he created something that's good enough and you and I together will work the garden and we're going to make it better. 
And that's all he's doing with you. Do you understand where you are right now? He says, that's enough. That's good. Now walk with me. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Understand who's talking to you and who's not. Understand that, yeah, you made a mistake, but let it go. Do better next time. And when you get that, 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 that deceiving, tempting voice in your head, you must overcome it. You must take it captive. You must put it back in the pit of hell where it belongs. And you come back and hear my voice because my voice will bring you life. It will bring it in abundance. And you and I will walk together and we're going to make this thing better. That's the invitation you're invited in.